you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, as we have been making our way through this uh, amazing book of Hebrews, we have come to some very, uh, come across some very difficult texts, some very uh, heavy texts, some very um, overwhelming at times passages throughout the book of Hebrews. And we come now to what is possibly the most well-known, um, well-appreciated, well-loved portion of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, what has been affectionately uh, called the Hall of Faith. And we come now to this book, or to this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, in hopes that the Lord today would open our eyes and open our ears and enlighten our hearts to understand what true faith looks like. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through verse 16. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of the things that are, are, that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he, con he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
Let's pray. Lord God, we come today to this beautiful, powerful, encouraging text of Scripture. And Lord, we come today, though knowing that this, this, these verses have received uh, much attention by the church, much attention from preaching, from pulpits, from writers. And Lord, yet today we come asking for your help to understand these passages, to understand these verses. And Lord, not just to understand them, but to benefit from them. Lord, we ask today that we would benefit from your word. And Lord, we ask this in spite of our own shortcomings as hearers of your word, as uh, people who still see the effects of sin in our flesh. And yet, Lord, we come today expectant. Lord, expectant that your spirit is at work as your word goes forth. And we ask, Lord, that he would have his work today as we hear and as we see the goodness of faith that is produced by him. Lord, be with me as I speak. Guide my words, guide my tongue. Lord, may all that I say today be in accord with your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the subject for our consideration today is one of exceeding importance. One that sermon after sermon after sermon could be preached on and never exhausted the importance of this topic. The subject for our consideration today is that of faith. Faith is a word and a, and a concept that I believe desperately needs clarification in our culture today. For even unbelievers, even the world around us is, is somewhat familiar with this word faith. There are songs about faith. You got to have faith as I believe George Michaels would say. There are ideas of what faith is that range from uh, everything as far as simple uh, understanding to a firm knowledge with all the evidence that we could possibly have. There are preachers who preach a kind of faith that is in and of itself a, a power, the word of faith by which we can speak things into existence that reality can be changed around us simply by the power of us speaking words in faith. And there are other distortions of the idea of faith that we see in the world around us. Even just the other day, I heard on the radio of, a, uh, of an upcoming event here in the Evansville area that was described as an interfaith event, where we see the word uh, faith being used as a synonym for religion. That religion itself is reduced down simply to faith, to uh, such an oversimplification that denominations and, and groups of various religions, various backgrounds, worshiping various gods can somehow come together united in quote-unquote faith. There is great misunderstanding surrounding what faith is in our day and age, in our culture, and even in the church. There is a oftentimes an unfortunate misunderstanding of what faith is. And so today, we come to the word of God, to this chapter here in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, to perhaps the most um, pronounced, the most clear, the most um, uh, in-depth teaching on faith that the word of God has given us. Specifically today, we, we will be considering a kind of faith that brings hope. That is my title for today, Faith That Brings Hope. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, 
faith is faith. What do you mean that we are hoping to understand what true faith is or a specific kind of faith? There are not different kinds of faith. Faith is faith. Either you have faith or you don't have faith. Why do we need to understand that there are various kinds of faith? And, and I would argue that Scripture, first of all, teaches that there are kinds of faith. There is a, a true faith that saves, and there is a false faith. Or as James would say, there is such a thing as a dead faith. As James writes in James 2, 14 through 17, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And then he poses this question, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Verse 17, he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The author of James is writing here for us, telling us that there is a false kind of faith when he says and asks this question, can that faith save him? That faith, which he is addressing, is one that is not a true faith, not a living faith, but as he describes, a dead faith. Faith, if it is a faith absent of works, is dead. So we see here that there is a difference between a true and living and fruitful faith, and there is a faith that is dead, that it is a worthless kind of faith. And our hope today is that as we read God's word, that we would see the difference between a true and right faith and a dead or false faith, because there is a difference. And the difference, I believe, largely comes down to the difference between believing something and trusting in something. Essentially, this is the difference between a true and living faith and a dead faith. To offer you an example, uh, I would uh, point you, there are various things that we could think of. Many people have talked about the idea of a chair, that it takes faith to actually sit in a chair. You have to have faith that that chair would hold you. Well, in a similar way, there was uh, a few weeks ago when I hung a swing at my mom's house. Great big swing. It's like 30 feet high, hung out on the, uh, on the end of a great big limb coming out of a walnut tree at my mom's house. And I climbed up in that tree and I took a, a strong rope, one that's, that's well rated for the task, and I tied it up in that tree and, and attached the swing that my mom had bought for her uh, grandchildren onto that strap, and the swing was ready to go. And I was swinging on it, the kids were swinging on it, and I asked my brother, who by the way is a firefighter and is about uh, 100 pounds heavier than me, I said, hey, you should go for a ride on the swing. My brother said, no thanks. Not interested in riding on that swing? Absolutely not. And I explained to him, look, the the strap I use, here's here's the package. It's rated for like 6,000 pounds. The strap will will absolutely hold you. He said, oh, yeah, I, I believe that that strap will hold me. Absolutely, yep. I said, well, look at the limb. The limb is like this big around. That limb is not gonna break. That's hard wood. That's, that's walnut. It's not going anywhere. It'll hold you. He said, oh, sure, yeah, that, that limb is absolutely strong enough. That limb will hold me, no problem. And I said, well, well, then what's the problem? And he said, well, despite all of that belief, even though I know that strap is rated that it could hold me, even though I know that limb could hold me, 
I still don't trust that that swing will not fall with me. My brother is illustrated, I think, helpfully the difference between, between belief in something and trusting in something, which helps us to see the difference between faith that is alive and faith that is dead, that is simple belief. Because it's one thing to believe in something, but it is an entirely different thing to allow that belief then to produce in us action, to produce works, to produce a result, to cause us to trust in that thing. That is the difference between simple belief and faith. And in my brother's defense, the swing did break 10 minutes afterwards when my sister was on it. Um, So... Uh, I guess he was justified in his lack of faith, but it was not my fault. It was the swing that broke, not my strap, not the limb, nothing I did wrong. But as another helpful illustration of what faith is and what faith is not, if I had told my brother after that broke with my sister, literally this, this hook just straightened out, the metal just bent, straightened out, and she fell to the ground. If I had taken that piece of metal, taken it over, hammered it back together, kind of pushed it together, closed it back up, put it back up, and then said, Daniel, swing on the swing. It will hold you, I promise. In that case, it would have been foolish if my brother had said, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Weighing much more than me, much more than my sister, it would have been foolish for him to jump on that swing after just seeing it collapse with the same hardware that it did with my sister. And this oftentimes, this picture, a picture of a faith that is absent of a reason and rationality, is another false understanding of faith that the world sees around us. A kind of faith that stands in complete opposition to reason, complete opposition to what we know to be true, a sort of blind faith. For even that is not what our author is proposing here today, that we should trust in something that is not trustworthy. That we should, in spite of everything that we see pointing to the reality that this is not true, trust in this anyway. Rather, what the author would have us see, and the reason he outlines for us and goes person by person by person, example, 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 after example of faith, is because he would have us see that true saving faith is that which is rooted in what is true, what is trustworthy. This is not a blind faith, but a faith in something that has been tested and tested and over and over again has proven faithful. My hope today is that we will see true faith and what it actually is and what it actually produces. The kind of faith that we have presented for us today is a faith that is alive, that is accompanied by works, a faith that is rooted in God's faithfulness, a faith that brings hope to those in need. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, we have this kind of faith presented and illustrated throughout the whole chapter. But the author begins this chapter, begins this exposition in verses 1 through 3 by giving a sort of definition and explanation of what this true faith is and what it does. In Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, he said, as we've already seen, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Here in this verse, verse chapter 1, as we begin our entrance into the hall of faith, this first verse, we see what has been put forward oftentimes as as the most helpful definition of what faith is. When When a person says, what is faith? It's not uncommon for a believer to say, well, 
The author of Hebrews would define it as this. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And if you're like me, so often whenever I was growing up and I would hear this definition given, I would say, oh, great. Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> what is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen? And thankfully, our author doesn't stop just by giving this, this definition of what faith is, but then goes on to say, and here's what faith does, which he considers to be equally as important as understanding what faith is. He goes on to say in, in verses 2 and 3, he says, For by it, that is this faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In addition to verse 1 telling us what faith is, verses 2 and 3, and then all throughout the, chapter, throughout the rest of the chapter, we see what faith does. Namely, it is by faith that we come to understand the reality of God's revelation of himself. It is by faith that we come to understand God's word to be true. That's what verse 3 is saying. By faith, the word of God is understood and found to be true and produces results in the lives of the saints, as we will see. And now, as we consider what this faith is and what it does, we're going to look here in the first 16 verses at five examples of Old Testament saints. Five examples of Old Testament saints and how their faith works and what it produces, what faith does. The first example that the author gives us is that of Abel. This is point number one, Abel. Faith that makes a sacrifice pleasing to God. Verse four of our text says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. You're probably familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, the tragic story of the very first murder ever committed on earth. And it came as early as Genesis chapter 4. This story is where Abel and Cain, these brothers, both come and they, and they offer sacrifices of God. Cain being one who works the ground, and so he brought sacrifices of the fruit that he had produced. Abel, who brought sacrifice of the animals that he shepherded. And what we see in Genesis is that the Lord regarded Abel's sacrifice, but not Cain's. That Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and Cain's was rejected. The problem here with the sacrifice of Cain is an interesting question. And it's a question that people have come to various answers on. There are some who would say that, well, the reason Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable, that it was not right, was because it was not an animal sacrifice. And yes, we do see the picture of animal sacrifice being normative and, and especially emphasized throughout Scripture, but it was not just animals that were sacrificed, that were offered to the Lord. There were grain offerings and other offerings. And at this time in redemptive history, there was no outlined process of what the sacrifices were supposed to look like. There was no sacrificial system that had been laid out in the law yet at this time. I would argue, and I think Hebrews would back me up, that the reason Cain's sacrifice was rejected but Abel's was accepted 
was because Abel's was one that was offered by faith. It was Abel's faith by which God was pleased to accept his sacrifice, and therefore it was Cain's lack of faith by which God rejected his sacrifice. The problem with a sacrifice apart from faith is that it does not accurately represent what is true of an individual's heart and its condition. At that point, a sacrifice apart from faith becomes empty ritual. It means nothing. It is faith. It is a sacrifice that is produced out of a dead heart. And we would be foolish to think that the act of sacrifice alone, regardless of the heart of the worshiper, was a means to be accepted by God. And yet there are so many who feel this way. This is the sentiment behind, well, I know that if the Lord would accept anybody into heaven, he would accept my Aunt Martha because she was so good. She did this and she did that and she was so sweet, never told a lie, never drank, never smoked, and never hung out with people who did. If the Lord is going to accept anyone to heaven, he was going to accept this person. But what is that? At best, it is sacrifice apart from faith. And therefore, is it accepted by God? The answer is no. It means nothing. The example of Cain and Abel clearly tells us that we are accepted by God by our faith. And only a sacrifice that is offered out of a heart of faith is found to be pleasing to God. Abel's offering was not accepted by God because of the medium that he used or because he Uh, or because he did it in the right way and used the right words and the right incantations and did it in the right place, Abel's offering was accepted by God because it was offered out of a heart of faith. By faith, the Lord accepted his offering. He had faith in the Lord and in his promises while Abel did not. And ultimately, we see Abel's lack of faith and his, or we see Cain's lack of faith and his deadness of heart demonstrated and on display by his murderous response. When his sacrifice was rejected by God, his heart was on full display when in response he goes and murders his brother out of anger and out of jealousy. Cain's heart was on full display in this act that he was indeed dead, that he was faithless, at least absent of any true and saving faith. Yet even today as we read this passage we see that the death of Abel serves as an instructor for us. That though he is dead, yet he still helps us to see. He says, though through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. That we see here from the example of Abel, Abel, that by faith we are accepted by God. The next example we have is that of Enoch. And the fact that faith brings victory over death. Enoch is a man seldom mentioned in scripture. Only a couple times does his name come up. And yet he is a man whose story all of a sudden becomes of great interest to us and to the author of Hebrews as he is brought up here. And he's mentioned in the hall of faith. He is presented to us as an example of faith and what faith does. By and large, Enoch is known for one thing and one thing only. The fact that he never died. Enoch is one of only two people in scripture that we know of that ever entered into heaven, went to the very presence of God without ever having died. We see in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, 
Moses says of Enoch, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons. I put the mic on uh, and I was sitting in the pew. I thought, man, I haven't checked the batteries yet. Oh, I'm sure we'll be fine. Of course, we were not. It's all good, though. We see the example of Enoch here, one who lived, who walked with God, was found to be pleasing in God's sight. He pleased the Lord and ultimately was taken into the very presence of God without death. It says Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. This is amazing and fascinating language. If you read the rest of the chapter here, as, as the lineage is given, you see here was this man, he fathered these kids, lived this long, and then he died. There was this man, he fathered these kids, lived this, lived this long, and then he died. And we get to Enoch, and we see there was Enoch, he fathered Methuselah, lived this long, and he was not, for God took him. This amazing and tiny, what would normally be for us just a, a nothing of a phrase that we would gloss over if we were not given a, a direction to it here in Hebrews, we see now that this tiny little phrase mentioned at the beginning of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 5, now takes on enormous significance for us as God has used it to display for us what faith does. By his faith, Enoch was taken up by God, was rescued from this earth and from the throngs of death that marks this world. By faith, Enoch is depicted as having escaped death. Death is what is called the death that all men pay. Death is the one thing that is certain for all people, that in taxes. And yet we see here that Enoch escaped it. Here is something we ought to consider the Holy Spirit has just described in this example uh, of, of Enoch, or excuse me, just described in the example of Abel, that by faith we are able to please God. And now we see in Enoch that he is commended for having pleased God. By faith, Enoch was accepted by God, but also was recognized for having pleased God. And this ought to capture our attention, this idea of pleasing God. Because pleasing God is only possible for those who have faith in him. This is made clear in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Pleasing God is not something that anyone can do. But only those who have faith in him. Faith in the promises of God. Faith in Jesus Christ. 
But once we are brought into faith, we are not only enabled to please God, but we are called and we are commanded, please God. And so we ought to ask, when was the last time that we considered pleasing God? When was the last time we asked ourselves, how can I live today to please God? It seems simple. And yet for many of us, that's not a question we ask ourselves very often. When we sit back and we think back over our day and we ask, have I pleased God today? When we wake up in the morning and we consider what our day has in store for us, is our prayer, is our hope, Lord, may I please you today the way Enoch did? Have we become indifferent to the pleasure of God? I think we have. I think we do over time. We become stagnant. We become uh, desensitized to pleasing God and desiring to obey him. And as that happens, at the same time, the idea of upsetting God or sinning against God or displeasing God becomes soft. It becomes less of an issue to us. The less we think about how we can please God, the less we care about pleasing God and the less displeasure, the less displeasing God bothers us. We are so easily distracted. We are so easily brought away from what our focus ought to be. As believers, if you are in here today and you have faith in Jesus Christ and you are trusting in him, you have been called to live a life of faith and a life of obedience, a life pleasing to God. It's not an option for Christians. It's what we have been called to do. And yet so often we are easily distracted from this task. We think sometimes that simply by not engaging in the wicked things that we are able to easily please God. And yet, the fact of the matter is, we can very easily be distracted from pleasing God, from living lives that bring glory and honor to him by all kinds of things. Even good things in the lives of believers can, can become distractions from pleasing God. Things such as our families can become idols, can become distractions from what God has called us to do. Things like our careers can become distractions from what God has called us to do in pleasing him. If our prayer in the morning, if our desire in the morning first thing is, Lord, help me to do well in my job today so that I can get a raise. Lord, help me to um, raise my kids well so that the world around me will think more of me. Then our desire is not to please God. We ought to wake up every morning and say, Lord, help me today to please you. Help me to live a life that brings glory to you, not to myself. Help me to live a life that looks different and that is free of distractions. But notice that pleasing God is not what saves us. It could be easy to hear this, that Enoch pleased God and therefore he was accepted into God's presence and, and never tasted death. But it was not our efforts, our obedience, our seeking to please God by which we are saved. Rather, the desire to please God is a product of a living faith, not the other way around. None of these individuals who have been found acceptable, who have been commended, were, were accepted by God because they did the right things, just like Abel was not, his sacrifice was not accepted before, before God because it was the right medium, but rather because it was a sacrifice of faith. By faith, we obey Jesus Christ and seek to please him every day in our lives. 
And in doing so, in exercising this kind of living faith, we find victory over death. Point number three, the next example is that of Noah. Faith that brings salvation. In verse 7, we see, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning the events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Once again, what do we see here? We see faith in action. That it was Noah's faith in the promises of God, faith in him that led him to act, to build the ark. What probably seemed to the world around him as a really silly thing to do. And yet Noah took on that shame. He took on that work and he did so because of his faith in the promises and faithfulness of God. Noah believed the word of the Lord. How was he able to believe the word of the Lord? How was it that it became reality to him? By his faith, which is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. By this faith, what happened? Noah and his entire family were brought safely through the floodwaters of God's judgment upon the earth. True and living faith in the promises of God results in salvation. Salvation from what? Well, in the case of Noah, it was salvation from God's wrath upon a sinful world. And guess what? The saying is true today. Faith in Christ Jesus is the means by which we are saved from the wrath of God on a sinful and wicked world. Jesus Christ then serves for us as the ark, as the means by which we can enter into him and not only find rest and peace and joy, but be saved from God's wrath, to be saved from the judgment that is due sin. We are saved. We find salvation from God's wrath by faith in Jesus Christ. Point number four, Abraham. Faith that promises an inheritance. We see this in verses eight through 10. We see Abraham was promised by the Lord, promised that he would receive an inheritance, that he would be blessed among men. In Genesis 12, one through three, this is the blessing that the Lord gives Abraham before he was named Abraham. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless those. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was Abraham's faith. Abraham's faith in the promises of of God that led him to obey the Lord and to uproot his life and to move into a nomadic life, one of exile, one of a stranger in a strange land. Why would he do this? What would cause him to take such radical steps to move into this situation in which there, there was great peril? There was great risk involved to him and to his family. He obeyed and followed because he anticipated something greater to come, as we see in verse 10. For he, talking of Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By his faith, 
Abraham's eyes were set past his current circumstances, were set past his current suffering and situation, and they were placed on a city built by God. His faith was rooted not in what he was experiencing here on this earth, right here, right now, but what, in what he knew was true to come. The future promises that Abraham was guaranteed outweighed his current circumstances. So that even though it was difficult, even though it was hard, he could endure the hardships. He could take on the exile because he knew that he had a home. He had a city that was being built for him in heaven. One that was lasting, one that was eternal, one that was built by God. So we see from Abraham that true faith means that our eyes are set past our current suffering and onto a better future. But this is really difficult for us, is it not? We are very short-sighted people. Even when we think about our, our daily lives, for me, the idea of planning out and thinking about next year is just insane. I can barely think about what I have to do next week. I'm focused right now on today, what I need to do today. And when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our hope, we so often quickly lose sight of what is true to come for us. We so easily lose sight of the future reality that is ours in Christ Jesus, of a home that is ours, and we do so as we set our eyes on current circumstances. The encouragement that we see from, from this example of Abraham here today is don't do that. Take your eyes off of your current circumstances, as difficult as they might be. And many of us in here are right now here today going through very difficult circumstances. And it's easy to become discouraged. And it's easy to become depressed. And it's easy to get down. And it's easy to even struggle to believe in God at times. And yet we know that these future realities that were true for Abraham are just as true for us today. I would encourage you, if you are struggling in here today, if life is hard for you today, if you are suffering, if your circumstances are difficult, trust in a coming hope. Trust in a home that we have that is built by God for us in heaven. Trust in an inheritance that is to come. We have only received a taste of this inheritance that is ours here today. But it will be fully realized one day when the trials that we face here on earth are over, when the circumstances of life no longer get us down, we will find ourselves celebrating not just celebrating but we will find ourselves so overcome by the joy of what it is to be with christ that paul tells us that our sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us we won't even consider the sufferings that we're going through right now that's difficult for some of you to hear today that the suffering you're in right now if you trust in jesus christ and place your eyes and your sight past it and your hope past it that there will come a day I promise you there will come a day when the suffering that you're facing right now, you won't even remember, won't even be worth considering, won't even be worth comparing to. This is what was true of Abraham. This is true of us. It is faith that brings this kind of hope and promises and inheritance. Finally, the fifth character that we are presented with here is that of Sarah and faith that brings abundant life to a barren womb. I love that the author of Hebrews saw fit to add this story in the story of sarah 
It was so fitting that he should add it here too, as Sarah and Abraham are, are so knit together, being not only husband and wife, but their story so interconnected. If you recall the story of Sarah and Abraham, it was through Sarah that the Lord promised that Abraham's offspring would come. It was through Sarah that Abraham was going to become a father of many nations. And if you recall, Sarah laughed at the prospect. The idea that she would become a, a mother of many seemed silly to her. Why? Because she was advanced in age. Her womb was barren. There was no hope left for Sarah in her mind that she could bear children, let alone that she could help uh, produce an offspring that would, as the text says, number greater than the sand of the seashore. And yet what we see is that at some point the Lord strengthened her faith. At some point her laughter at the idea of being a, a mother as she had a barren womb, her laughter at the foolishness of the thought became laughter of joy as the Lord blessed her with Isaac, this child of the promise. This miraculous bringing to life of this dead womb is seen even more emphatically in the very virgin birth of Christ, where God demonstrates that he is able not only to restore barren wombs, but he is so powerful over, the, over his creation that he can exercise complete control and bring forth life as he wills, regardless of what biology says is possible. The Lord is so sovereign over his creation. He is such a bringer of life that even biology does not stand in his way. Faith in Christ and in the promises of God. Faith in the ultimate life giver who, whose plan it is to bless and give life. This plan is never thwarted. Even by natural laws, even by death, God's plan to bring about his promises is never thwarted. Sarah's barren womb could not thwart God's plan and his promises any more than, than Lazarus' dead body. As we see from the story of Lazarus, Jesus, the very commander and author of life, declared to Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, this man who had been dead for not just an hour, not just a few minutes, but days to the point that his body stunketh, came out of the grave at the sheer command of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but this God is so powerful that even Jesus, who died on the cross and was buried in a grave, as hope seemed lost at this point, the promises of God have been thwarted. Redemption could not be accomplished. Christ was our only hope. He is now dead. He is in the grave. Where is our hope? But we see from the gospel that even death itself cannot thwart God's plan. And Jesus burst forth from the grave. The promises of God realized and fulfilled in him and life guaranteed by the great life giver. This is what true living faith produces and promises. Our conclusion for today is that this kind of faith brings hope for exiles and strangers. Look at the last few verses of our passage today, Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16. This is an encouraging and powerful word in the middle of this chapter where the author says, These all died in faith, 
not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Faith in the promises of God meant hope for the Old Testament saints. Hope for a homeland that was not to be found on this earth. So long as they lived here on this earth, they lived as strangers, as sojourners, as exiles. The text says that none of these saints got to see the promises of God realized, but greeted them from afar. And yet, even in this, they had hope. Hope that there was something more to come, that this world was not our ultimate home and not our ultimate end, but that they were strangers and exiles on this earth looking for a better homeland that was to come. Where is our hope found? Is it in this world and what we can gain now in this mortal state? Absolutely not. In fact, Paul says that if we have hope in this life, only we are above all most to be pitied. You see, the Old Testament saints knew something that that Paul in 1 Corinthians and the author of Hebrews would have us see here today. That if we are to have a hope that lasts, It is to be rooted in something outside of this world, something outside of this current life. And we, like these saints, do not have hope in this life only. But like these in Hebrews 11, we are also strangers. We are exiles in this world who long for a homeland. This is why when Peter writes in 1 Peter, he writes to the elect exiles. That is what we are as a church. We are exiles in a foreign land. We are strangers. This is not our ultimate home. There's a a Stephen Curtis Chapman song called Long Way Home that I think is a really neat kind of way of describing this, that we as Christians, we are headed for a home. We are destined for a a homeland, for a, a place built for us, but it is not to be found on this earth. For us, our time here on earth is in essence just the long way to our real home, that we look forward to a day when we will have rest and we will have a home, one that is lasting, one that is built for us by God himself. The faith we have in Christ is one built not just on future promises, though, as was the case for these saints. They never saw these promises realized, but rather greeted them from afar. But what is true of us? Ours is a faith that is rooted in promises fulfilled promises fulfilled in christ jesus the faith that we have is one that is a guarantee because of what christ has already accomplished in us our faith is not like that of one who hopes for something that is to come like the old testament saints and theirs was a good and it was a true and it was a saving faith But we have, in a sense, an even more glorious reality. For us, these things have been accomplished in Christ Jesus. We no longer wonder when these things will be fulfilled, when they will be accomplished, when our sins will be paid for, but rather we look to the cross and say they have been paid for. 
The reality is ours in Christ Jesus and the evidence is found in Christ's resurrected body. Our faith is like going to pick up something that you have bought online from a store. Taking with you the receipt that says, I have paid for this. It has been ordered. That thing that you have behind the counter, that is mine. I don't hope it will be paid for. I don't hope it will become mine. It is mine and this is the guarantee of it. This is what is true of us in Christ Jesus. Each of these Old Testament saints that we see in Hebrews 11 serves for us as an example and a type of the redemption that is ours today in Christ Jesus. Just as these great names were commended and entered into the blessings of God by their faith, so we too reap all the same benefits by faith. We see Abel's faith made his sacrifice pleasing to God, we too are accepted by God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Enoch's faith but brought victory over death. We too have been transferred from death unto life, and death no longer has victory over us. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? That is the cry of the believer. Noah's faith brought salvation for him and his family through the flood. We too have salvation by God, from salvation from God's wrath by faith in Jesus Christ because he bore it on the cross and he now becomes for us the ark of salvation. Abraham's faith promised an inheritance. We too have an inheritance as sons and daughters of God. In fact, we are, as the Bible says, co-heirs with Christ. Sarah had faith that brought life and life abundant to a barren womb. So we too have had life breathed into our dead lungs by the sovereign of the universe. All of the realities that we see of the faith depicted here in Hebrews is true of us. Let these examples serve for us to bring us hope, to bring us assurance, knowing that the faith that was theirs is our faith also. It is granted to us by the Holy Spirit and all the hope that they had is ours also in Christ Jesus. And as we read of these great pictures of faith, these examples of faith throughout the Old Testament, we are intended to read these and recognize that our hope is not built on nothing. Our hope is not built on something that is weak or questionable. It is not as though we have been given a, a swing to get on that has been hung with a tiny string and said, here, hopefully it stands. We are meant to see these pictures of faith as a sturdy wire cable that is capable of holding us a thousand times over. Because of these pictures that we see of God's faithfulness to his people, we can know that our faith is not placed in something foolish, but rather it is placed in something certain, something confident, something that will stand, not for this life only, but for all of eternity so brothers and sisters, rest in that faith. Trust in Christ for your salvation. Not only believe that these things are true, but place your trust and your confidence in them. Do not place your confidence in yourself and how good you are. Do not place your confidence in your lineage or in your practices or in your sacrifices, but rather place it in your faith in Jesus Christ and your trust in him. For he is the only means by which we can experience hope. Hope of a coming homeland. Let's pray.